The following program is presented by the Far East Broadcasting Company because stories of people living out the gospel with their lives inspire all of us. FEBC, taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. Learn more at febctoday.org. I can't tell you the joy I experience in going to various people, places and finding people of sterling character, of incredible gifting, and of deep passion and service to Christ. He has been following Christ for many years, serving the kingdom in remarkable ways. You'll meet Canadian evangelical leader Brian Stiller in just a moment on this week's edition of First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for tuning into our program, which highlights how God calls and equips people to serve Him. Before we get started, though, let me point you to our website for additional information and resources. It's firstpersoninterview.com. Take time to visit the site to learn more about this week's guest as well as past interviews. You'll also learn more about the Far East Broadcasting Company, which makes these interviews possible. And if you'd like to download any of those past programs for listening anytime, use our smartphone app. It's free on both Apple and Android platforms and makes listening to First Person easy anytime it's convenient for you. Search First Person Interview in your app store. And you'll also find us online at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Brian Stiller has a unique opportunity to witness the church in action around the world. He's a global ambassador for the World Evangelical Alliance and joins us now to talk about his life and ministry. Well, I'm in my late 70s. I travel to 15 to 20 countries a year. I'm an old white-haired guy that bumps around the world encouraging younger leaders, connecting evangelicals to each other, to their society, and to other churches and religions, Mm -hmm. all in the interest of making Christ known in the world. You are Global Ambassador for the World Evangelical Alliance, and as I said, that sounds like a terrific job. I want to learn more about that. You have a book out that we'll talk about later, From Jerusalem to Timbuktu, but I want to talk about you. You didn't mention the most important thing. You're Canadian. (laughs) I am, proudly. (laughs) Tell me about the the, uh, early life for you. Where did you grow up in Canada? Uh, my father was a pastor. We were out in Western Canada, Saskatchewan, which is just north of North Dakota. Loved my, it was a Pentecostal church. It was a community, it was a Pentecostal church that was very, very much influenced by the wider Youth for Christ movement. So as a boy, I was very captured by that. In time, I became Canadian president. But as a boy, I loved that that wider evangelical community. Uh, met Bob Pierce, met Billy Graham, met uh, uh, a variety of, of Canadians and Americans and international people and always loved the Lord, can never remember not loving the Lord. Hmm. Uh, of course, at some point you come to make a decision, and mm-hmm. I did, and uh, started uh, in our denominational school after high school. Um, uh, met, uh, We were teenagers. My wife and I met at college. Uh, we got married after school. I mean, not after school in the afternoon, but after we graduated. <laughs> and uh, then uh, I went on to university in Toronto. And uh, after that, started with Youth for Christ in Montreal and Toronto and then national president. And then after that, I, uh, influenced by the NAE in the U.S., started uh, uh, took on the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, which is our national alliance, and built for a number of years a uh, a national voice for faith in the country. And then in 95, the third oldest Bible college in North America, 
The first, the, the oldest was Nyack, the second oldest was Moody, and the third oldest was Ontario Bible College and Seminary in Toronto. It had gone bankrupt. Ah. And so in 95, I took it over. We, took, got, we changed its name to Tyndale, turned it into a university and bought a new campus and did that for 16 years and then was invited to uh, become global ambassador for this world evangelical body. <laughs> well, you've had a remarkable life, a remarkable uh, career, if I can call it that. It's really been in service to Christ. So uh, as you look back on all that, um, what are some of your thoughts about that? I mean, it's, it's, been, uh, it's been a many varied experience for you, hasn't it? It has been. It's been a uh, through my 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 spiritual journey uh, back in the '60s. It was the free speech movement. Uh, I was struggling very much with the legitimacy of the biblical faith, and Francis Schaeffer became oh, uh, yeah. a mentor by his books. But in time, he became a personal friend. My father had died. He was the same age as my father. I looked after him when he came to Canada, and he became kind of a father to me. Hmm. But it was through his, his, his framing of the creation as all of life being the Lord's and his book Escape from Reason and those books, it settled me in biblical faith. It gave me a better framing of my faith, creation, God's will. That, that solidified my faith. And, and then out of my, my Pentecostal background, which I, I have great, uh, great value, I, I value greatly. It gave me an understanding of the of the spirit, and we when we come back to talk about the book, this matter of the spirit is really a, a critical twentieth century phenomenon, and it became that in my life. Hmm. And then, I, as I continued in ministry, I realized that that I had gifts in leadership, and my interest was in building institutions. I realized, as I looked through history, that charismatic individuals. Uh, revival movements, those kind of things are very critical to the building and the establishing of the witness of Christ. But as those charismatic voices, as those revival movements grow, you've got to drive in the stake of, of an institutional framing of that which is at work or that which has been spoken. So, for example, the Moody Enterprise was an institutional driving into the stake of a message, of an idea, of a charismatic individual that became then in time a school, an institution that furthered the witness of Christ. And mm -hmm. so I've done that through building a Youth for Christ, a National Youth for Christ framework, building an evangelical alliance in Canada, and then building a, a Tyndale University and seminary here in Toronto uh, as a strong contemporary, creative, and uh, sustaining influences and witnesses of the gospel. So that that's kind of been an interest of mine all the while developing leadership and uh, and then just finding great joy in being in in writing through through my life and even doing more of it as I am at this uh, twilight of my life. I find it interesting you mentioned Schaefer. You're the second guest recently who cited Schaefer as the the person who really shaped uh, their Christian thinking and Christian life. I'm he's very influential, and I wonder if maybe we don't need a return to Francis Schaefer in, in this day and age. <laughs> I do think we need to have a framing of our biblical faith in, uh, in, in, in ways that speak into the contemporary issues. The contemporary issue in the 60s was, uh, was kind of an existentialism. It was a, um, uh, the, you, have, you have the free, free speech movement uh, and you have the Jesus movement. You have those kind of ideological 
and, and spiritually driven movements and ideas. And at the same time, there was an enormous discounting of the intellectual value and credibility of the gospel witness. Yes. Schaefer comes along and he creates, it's really a reformed framing. So out of my Armenian Pentecostal background, this reformed framing of the gospel in his book, Escape from Reason and the God Who Is There, it, it helped me to understand that that all of life is the Lord. So I understood my background is is, is music and I understood I, I, I was raised in classical, but I loved jazz, and I could never find jazz as being a legitimate part of my Christian expression until Francis Schaeffer came along, and he said, yes, it's just, that, that also is the Lord's. <laughs> I under, then I understood public life and uh, civic duties. That's part of the creation mo- uh, model, and it's part of the kingdom mandate. And so that gave me a framing of, of being able to encourage, for example, uh, Christians in Canada running for for mayor, for mayor in mayor's races and for parliament and so forth, mm-hmm. because that too, as the as Abraham Kuyper said, there's not one square inch of creation that God doesn't say that's mine. Right, right. So Schaefer gave me that. Yeah, we're going to talk about the world uh, outside of North America in a moment, but talk about Canada and the gospel in Canada. What what's the state of things now in the evangelical church? Canada. Since the 1960s, uh, well, let me go back to the early part of the 20th century. You had, a very, you had a very strong Protestant community and a dominant Catholic community. Canada has always been Catholic. 47% of Canada is Catholic, and you've got uh, about 12 or 14% are evangelical, and then you've got a number of mainline. But what happened in the early part of the 20th century, in 1925 particularly, the Presbyterian Congregational, and most of the Presbyterian, all the Congregational, all the Methodist Church went together in the United Church in 1925. Now, that was seemed to be a good experiment, but it got so trapped by social justice issues and got framed by a theological liberalism that eventually the United Church, following the 1960s, it, it start, started a, a slide and it's been dropping like a stone. And that has an enormous impact on, on the kind of the Christian influence in Canada. Secondly, you have the silent revolution in in Quebec, a Catholic province, in the 1960s. And so you go from a majority number of of Quebecers going to church to 2% now. So you've got two Christian factors, Catholic and the old mainline liberals have lost their moral authority, their numbers, and their place within the wider society. That has an enormous impact, and what it does, it aids and abets a secularization process. The evangelical community, which really came into four in the post-Second World War, it has grown quite well. It's got strong, it's got 12 to 14 percent, and that has stabilized. You've got strong institutions, but we're dealing with a with a radically liberal and secular culture. And to find ourselves in that place to maintain a faithful witness, that's a real challenge. But I, I do find that there is a sustained kind of spirit of revival that goes on in our country. And I'm finding that the younger generation, the millennials, are creating those kind of enterprise, spiritual enterprises and congregations that are quite creative and, and, and I think effective. So uh, I, I'm encouraged by our, our Canadian uh, environment. We are greatly influenced by the U.S., but we are, not, we are not caught in the enormous divide that evangelicals are caught with in the U.S. So we don't face those kind of issues. We are, we are an observer of what's going on in your country. We'll learn more about the church around the world from Global Ambassador Brian Stiller coming up on First Person. You never heard that good news on the FBCC station. 
I tried praying to Jesus for the first time. Life is difficult, but Christ is helping me see things differently. Just one of millions of grateful people who listens to the Far East Broadcasting Company in her own language. You can sign up for a free online daily devotional from FEBC telling more listener stories while at the same time it encourages you from God's Word. Receive this online devotional without obligation when you visit firstpersoninterview.com. My guest is Brian Stiller. Brian is Global Ambassador for the World Evangelical Alliance. He has a new book out. He's written a number of books, and we'll put links uh, to Brian on our website, firstpersoninterview.com. But the new book is called From Jerusalem to Timbuktu. I couldn't spell Timbuktu until I saw it on the cover (laughs) of your book, Brian. A world tour of the spread of Christianity. So in your role now as a global ambassador, you are encouraging the church around the world, and you've observed some things. Tell me about the development of this book. As I took on this role seven years ago, and I began to travel, people would ask me the question, what are you seeing globally? And I would be asked that in the U.S. and Canada and then the countries I was visiting. And so I began to think more carefully about what I was observing. And then I began to do my more careful missiological research. And I came up with what I thought were five drivers, those things that are both expanding and shaping the church. And I tested those with missiologists and over the years began to refine it. My book agent said, you've got a book there. InterVarsity said, we like it. And so that's kind of what came about. Now, the name of the book is interesting because as I was, we were trying to find the name of the book and I was, I read an old article that I think Augustine wrote from uh, what does Jerusalem have to do with Athens or something like that. And I was, began to think about the juxtaposition of cities. Todd Johnson, who heads the center for global Christianity at Gordon Conwell had just come out with a map that showed that, that, the center of the density of population, and that's that what that's matters. Let me say it again. The center of the density of population started, of course, in Jerusalem in 33 AD. But as the church moved over the last 2,000 years, and especially the last 100 years in the global South, Africa, Latin America, and Asia, the center of the density today literally is Timbuktu, <laughs> which is in Mali, Northwest Africa. So it's a real place. We, we think of it fictionally. It, it, it really exists. Oh, it, it's had one of the greatest Christian libraries in the world for years. Now, the ISIS has destroyed that, but it's, a, it's a, been a marvelous center for Christianity and for scholarship. So Timbuktu is a very real place. All right, well, what, uh, what are some of the, the things that you learned that you want to pass on to us? What, what would surprise us about uh, the, the growth of the church around the world? Well, you and I, I'm a little older than you, but we've lived in the 20th century, and the 20th century evangelical church has lived with an understanding of the Holy Spirit, his gifts and anointings. That's part of our tradition. But 100 years ago, that wasn't true. Up until the end of the 19th century, uh, the Spirit was kind of caught in the shadow of the Father and the Son. So your early church disputes and and the creeds and so forth, they dealt with Jesus, his divinity and humanity. The Holy Spirit was always mentioned, but there was no, apart from the odd rising of kind of spirit-driven events and the Wesleys and the the Waldensians and so forth, there was never a conscious understanding of who the Spirit is, his gifting, and his anointing. That finally broke through in the early part of the 20th century. It started what we call the Pentecostal movement, and then via the charismatic movement, which kind of evened out the, the, the terrain, the bumpy terrain between classical Pentecostals who insisted on speaking in tongues as an evidence of being filled with the Spirit, and the other side of cessationists who said, no, that all ceased years ago. 
the charismatic movement gave to the whole evangelical world and indeed the Catholic and mainline Protestant world an introduction to the spirit. And so you and I live in that knowledge and awareness and, 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 and empowerment of the spirit that, that those in the, in the end of the 19th, early 20th century knew nothing about. That, to me, is the main trigger for the expansion of the gospel. So, for example, in Latin America in 1900, there were 50,000 evangelicals. Today, there's 100 million. Hmm. Globally, in 1960, there were 90 million evangelicals. Today, there's 600 million. So, from 1960, where there were 90 million evangelicals, today, 600 million, I ask the question, why? And I think it's the understanding that the Spirit indwells us, we become the temple of the Spirit of God, and he empowers then, not clergy only, but laity, all of us as the people of God, to be the house of God in the kingdom of God. And this has given impetus to evangelism and spiritual ministry globally that the church never knew before because now it, it understands the empowerment of the Spirit. So that's the first trend. The second, the, the next two are, are, these three are all together. It's an age of the Spirit. The translation of the Bible, that has been absolutely seminal to the rise of the church in the last hundred years. And, and I never realized what it meant to have the Bible in my own tongue, my own dialect, and the power of that in combination with the anointing of the Spirit in giving me, in whatever country I am, Timbuktu to, to, uh, to Tulsa. Uh, you have this understanding of the Spirit in individuals, whether they're in a glass hut or in a 53rd uh, uh, story office building. <laughs> the third is the indigenous leadership of the church. So globally, we have moved from the West to the rest, from the, the, the local to the rest. So our leadership in across the world is run by indigenous leadership. And when that happened in the post-colonial era after the 1960s, along with the new translations of the Bible, this growing global awareness of the Spirit and His calling and His giftings, those three were a perfect storm, and it accelerated the church. So that example in China, in 1949, there were 700,000 Christians. Today, there's estimated up to 140 million. Yeah, who knows how many? We, we really That's don't right. know, do we? No, we don't, no. Wow. So then the other two things that are shaping the church today uh, with difficulty sometimes, but nevertheless, I think they are really there. And that's first, there is a, a re-engagement of evangelicals back into the public square. Now, in the U.S., you are facing some real issues as it relates to how close do we get to political enterprise or how far do we stay away. And the second issue, a return to an understanding that the gospel speaks to the wholeness of humanity, that there's nothing in my life that the gospel doesn't speak to. So there, we don't divide between social and uh, between social doing social good and evangelism. The whole thing is wrapped up in in Christ and His kingdom, and the sharing of His life and His good news. So those those are the five things that I found to be influential and dynamic in the growth and the shaping of the church today. Well, that's very interesting. Um, the thing that springs to my mind are the implications for how we understand uh, in North America how we understand foreign missions. So uh, what, what are the implications for missions as we have known it the last hundred years in this country? Well, uh, I think we've realized, of course, that, 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 that missions is returning to us, that those, those who we have gone to are now coming back to us. So there's a revitalization. When you look at the stats in North America, the stats show that, that, the, 
that the real strengthening of the church is coming by way of, uh, of immigration. So I would, I would advocate as, as an evangelical that one of the great ways of strengthening the witness of the gospel in our mutual countries is immigration. You have people coming from Africa, from the, from the Latin America, from the Philippines, and, 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 the, and, the, and Asia. A great number of them are, are dynamic in their faith. They're evangelistic, and, and, they're, and they're theologically very conservative. But that thrusts us right into the political discussion, then, doesn't it? Oh, oh does it ever. So uh, we have a differing view uh, culturally of, of refugees. For us, I mean, both of our countries, we are refugee countries. That's how we started. That's how we built. Canada, because we have such a low birth rate, we've got to, we've got to bring in a lot of, of, uh, of immigrants every year. So when the first refugees arrived in Canada from, from Syria, the prime minister was at the airport greeting them. And there was kind of a euphoria across the country, and people were fighting over what groups could help what Syrian family. Uh, so that the refugee issue for us is, is not a ball and chain. It really is a, a, a cultural lift to us. And I think biblically, it, it, uh, we're also behooved to love the refugee. Brian, from writing your book, From Jerusalem to Timbuktu, uh, obviously you must have drawn some conclusions of what it means to us as individuals, as believers in this culture, whatever country we live in, how we live as world Christians, so to speak. So how, how should I take this and what does this mean to me? How do I live my life differently knowing what God is doing around the world? You have, you, you have two, two social dynamics, one globalization where the world is becoming more one, and then you have the pushback called tribalization where people are, are hunkering down more into their own society. So you got these two things playing back and forth. I think that the kingdom of God, it, it, it rides the surf of both, both that ebb and flow. We can, we can now care about the pastor in Izmir, uh, Turkey, uh, who is in jail today. We can understand him better, and we can have greater effect in influencing the outcome, uh, even as the three Korean Christians that were released just the other just the other day from North Korea back to the US Christians have a way of influencing around the world like we never have before but at the same time we have to be careful that we allow the indigenous nature of the gospel to find its way at, to express itself in that community so we as a North American community in our desire to help and encourage others we need to respect their leadership and their indigenous nature but at the same time allowing our resources and our prayer to be an encouragement to them. So I think we keep the two in mind, and the kingdom of God surfaces over both and brings Christ known to to the nations. Our guest has been Brian Stiller, the author of From Jerusalem to Timbuktu. You'll find additional information about Brian on our website, firstpersoninterview.com. Thanks for listening. We're here each week featuring the stories of followers of Christ who've been called to a unique place of service and are making a spiritual difference as they live for the Lord. These conversations are made possible through the support of the Far East Broadcasting Company, who love for you to hear how God works in the lives of people for His glory. Please take a moment to sign up for a free online devotional from FEBC. You can do so at firstpersoninterview.com. Our archive of interviews grows each week, and you're invited to explore our past programs either at firstpersoninterview.com or by using the download feature on our free smartphone app. Also, don't forget that we're found online at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview, where you can leave your comments, facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Join us next time for First Person. First Person.